welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Boy, oh boy, boy, oh boy. All right, friends, I hate to break up a good thing, but if you could find your Bibles, you're going to be in the book of Exodus. So uh, as you turn there, many of you know that Chris Kimston has been with us for the last few years as a student at Bethel and as an intern. Uh, And today is Chris and Kelsey's last Sunday with us, so uh, we want to bring them up here, and we want to, Michaela and some friends have um, purchased, yeah, come on up here, come on up here, and if you're on the core team or the advisory team, if you would make your way up to the front, we're going to pray a blessing over these guys, and we've gotten you a gift, and I say we, that's the proverbial we, we put Michaela, the best gift giver on the planet, on this task, so... um, Chris and Kelsey are headed back to Iowa, where Chris grew up, and uh, uh, Chris took a job there at the church he grew up going to, so we're excited about that. If you would, just extend a hand of blessing as we pray for them and send them out. God, we thank you so much for Chris and for Kelsey. Thank you for uh, the gifts and the passions that you've placed in this young man. I pray, God, uh, an anointing uh, for him and over him as he goes and accepts this new position. Lord, I pray that the work of his hands and the words of his mouth, the energy that he puts towards this uh, in this community would bear fruit for your kingdom and your namesake. Um, For all the transitions and all of the things that are unknown yet, we give to you and we trust you uh, that you are good. And um, so thank you for our time with Chris and Kelsey, and we pray a blessing as they go uh, into this new season and this new work, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen, amen. Let's give a huge thank you and a round of applause for Mr. Kimston. Thanks, boss. Um, Related to that, um, Kelsey was one of many last week who ran the marathon, uh, the Twin Cities Marathon. Yeah. I think there were over 30-some awakened people who ran the marathon, and I was told by a reputable source that over 400 kids, is that right? Do I have that right? Do you know? Over 400 kids uh, related to the efforts of people at Awaken are going to be receiving water for life uh, in, in another part of the world. So that's pretty awesome. That's pretty cool. So well done, everybody. Well done. So cool. Um, So we are in a series called Eat This Book, and it's really a walk through the scriptures, kind of from beginning to end. We're following a version of the lectionary. It's called the Narrative Lectionary. And so far, we have looked at creation and Israel and Joseph, and then last week, Exodus and Moses, coming, or the Israelites coming out of Egypt with Moses and the Exodus. And now we are going to be in the wilderness wanderings with the people of Israel. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Exodus chapter 16, and I will invite you to stand if you are able as we read from God's word, and then we will jump in. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 16, it says this, the whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. And on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if we had only died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. That's, as a leader, that's when you know it's a good day. <laughs> then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Skip to verse 13. 
That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning, there was a layer of dew on the ground. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. And the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much and some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. And on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded, tomorrow is to be the day, to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil, save whatever is left and keep it until morning. And so they saved it until morning, and as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Pray with me. God, this morning, uh, we gather for a, a whole host of reasons, primarily uh, be, this, for this community because, Jesus, you are who you said you are. And uh, we gather around this story of the risen and resurrected Jesus. And so I pray that as we uh, lean into your word, that you would, by your spirit, speak to us, that you would be present in ways that uh, we sense and know and hear and see. Uh, and God, that whatever we leave with today would be an invitation uh, to take one step deeper, one step further in our relationship and journey with you. And so I pray these things in the strong name of Christ and all of God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so we're in the Exodus. The Israelites have left Egypt. They are wandering around in the desert. Uh, Laura and I, my wife, we love to host and we love to cook. We, uh, we used to have this little story and a half, 6438 Newton in Richfield. I have four brothers. They all have wives. There are now 14 grandchildren and one grandmother, and we have been known to host Thanksgiving in this little house. We've had, you know, tables upon tables, and then kids eating on couches, and kids eating at card tables. Uh, we love to host, and we love to cook, and we love to gather people around the table. It's one of our, one of our things that we, uh, as a couple, really enjoy doing. And if you've ever been, uh, if you've ever hosted something, or if you've been, maybe you've been on the other end of this, you've been to a party, but one of the worst moments as a host or as a person who likes to host uh, is that moment when you, you realize that there might not be enough food, right? Like you've, you've miscalculated, you've underestimated the number of people who are about to show up or who did show up, and that moment when it's getting towards the end and the, the, the resources are going down, 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 you're like, I don't know if there's enough food for everybody here. Or maybe you've been in line at that party where there's like six of you left and two pieces of pizza left, you know what I'm talking about? And there's that feeling of like anxiousness and like maybe even paranoia, uh, at a deep existential level, if you really think about it, that there's not enough to go around. Like, what if there isn't enough? What if I didn't make enough? Or what if, what if there are too many people? What if there's not enough for us? Uh, this morning, as we look at this story in the Exodus, uh, I want to invite you to try, as best as you can, to really enter the story. Maybe you've heard this one before, or maybe you saw it on Flannel Graph when you were a kid in Sunday school, uh, it's a pretty f fantastic story, really. 
Uh, but sometimes we can stand at arm's length to the scripture. We can stand sort of at a distance from the story. And I want to invite you, if you can, to really try to enter it, to let it speak into you, to let it work on you, to let it uh, move inside of you. Uh, what would it have been like if you were there? These kinds of questions. Um, a little bit of background for this, if you're not familiar with the story. The Israelites, they were in Egypt for 400 years. They were slaves. Uh, they made their way there at the end of this, the book of Genesis, and they found themselves in Egypt, and they increased in number. They became a powerful group of people. And the Pharaoh said, like, we should probably keep these people at bay, and began to kind of slowly oppress them to the point of 400 years they were enslaved. They were slaves, but also their basic needs were met. They had food, they had water. And in the ancient world, those two things are what everybody's looking for, food and water. And as the Israelites, slaves as they were, they knew that they were going to get fed. They knew that food and water would be provided. They knew exactly what their day would look like. They would wake up. There was no surprises. There was no ambiguity. There was no change. And for those of you who hate change, that sounds pretty good, right? Just like, we know what tomorrow's going to hold. It's going to be bricks again for that guy. Now, and now we find them in this passage, like, they're liberated. They're free. If you've ever seen the movie Shawshank Redemption, uh, freedom is an interesting proposition when you've been enslaved for a very long time. But they're free. They're no longer enslaved. They don't worship Pharaoh. They don't make bricks for his empire anymore. And they're 30 days from the last site of provision, which was this oasis in Elam where they were given water. And they are hungry and they are thirsty. And they're beginning to entertain the possibility that they may in fact die out here in this desert. So this is an all play. I don't do this very often because it's difficult in here terms of the room. This is an all play. What are the questions that you would have for God or about God if you are an Israelite in that moment? You are stranded in the desert 30 days from the last time you were provided for, and you're entertaining the possibility that you might die out here in the desert. What are the questions you have for God or about God in this moment? Just shout them out if you have a couple. See what's in the room. Say it again. Will I survive? What else? What's the plan? Yeah, totally. <laughs> Moses, what's the plan? What else? Is God really here? Yeah. A couple more. What are the questions? Again? Is this any better? Yeah. Why us? That's a great question. Yeah. Do you see me? Yeah, great question. I mean... Put yourself in their shoes. Try to walk a mile. You've been slaves and now you're free, but freedom looks like certain death. And so they begin to grumble and they say, we had meat, we had leeks, we had melons, we had garlic, and we, we could sit around in Egypt and we got fed and we got water. And now you've led us out here to this desert. So we come to a passage like this, and this is one of those ones in the Bible where it kind of, there's sort of two roads diverge into a wood, Oh, wait. Uh, there's like two paths here, right? Thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you. Little Robert Frost, for those of you who didn't catch that. Great poet. Two roads diverged into a wood. I chose the one less traveled. There's two paths here. You can kind of look at this passage in one of two ways. One of them asks some, like, um, literal questions about it, right? And another way entertains some other possibilities. I want to sort of present both of those two this morning, and I want to suggest that one is more fruitful than the other. The first path is, did it happen? 
It's, a, it's an honest question, right? Like, did this happen? Manna, quail, the Israelites, millions of them wandering around in the desert, did it happen? And we've actually been here before in the Lost in Translation series, uh, asking questions like this or entertaining, is, is this the best question? Uh, and it's, it's worth revisiting because this is, this is about a bigger question about what is the Bible and how do we read it and how do we hold it? How do we, uh, how do we read it well? And the most important question burning in, in the minds of people that sort of go down this road is, did it happen? I mean, there are millions of people wandering around in the desert. There are nomads between Egypt and Canaan. Like, how many quails would it take to feed them, honestly? And, uh, like, did this happen every day? How many times did the quails come? What time did they come? Did it happen at night? Did it happen in the morning? And the manna, like, do you, 40 years minus, like, one month, they ate manna. Like, that's a lot of manna. Do you have any, any idea how many pounds of manna it would take to feed that many people? That's a good question. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, there's a bird, like a migratory bird, that flies from the south uh, in Africa, and it flies to the north. And about halfway through its journey, it just gets totally exhausted. And it just kind of like finds itself in this desert area in Sinai, completely exhausted. And the Bedouins actually go out and they just like pluck these birds because they're totally defenseless. They're completely exhausted. This happens. Uh, so was it a miracle or did the quails just like come at the right time and the Israelites were out in the desert at the right place in the right time and there they were. Quails everywhere. Quails for everybody. Manna, that's another one. Did you know in 1927 there was a scientist who wrote an article in Time magazine and he talked about these like little pills that form on the ends of the tamarisk bush or the trees that are in the Sinai Peninsula. Uh, upon further uh, review and study of these things um, and chemical analysis of this natural phenomenon that happens, the, uh, the, the sap on the ends of these trees, they actually contain like uh, the molecule or the molecular structure of uh, three basic sugars that we know of. So when it says that the manna tasted sweet like honey and it was like coriander wafers. The Torah modern commentary says, in June, this substance falls to the ground in little drops and is gathered up before sunrise, for afterward, it liquefies once, uh, again, once, once the sun shines on it. The Arabs preserve the manna in leather gourds and thus save it like honey for the future. That's a quote from the Torah modern commentary. So there you go, quail and manna, a relatively... Uh, plausible scientific offering as to how it happened, quail and manna. Um, but I want to suggest that when you read the Bible, and especially the Old Testament and Torah, one question that will most assuredly help you miss the point is, did it happen? Um, have any of you seen the Hunger Games? Hunger Games? Yeah? You're out? Okay, yeah. This would be like debating... What kind of arrows Katniss shoots and how they never run out in her quiver while missing the point that this is a critique about a, a culture that finds entertainment in death. Right? Like, that's the point of the movie. It's not whether or not Katniss's arrows ever run out or what they're made out of, but rather this interesting critique of culture and how we find entertainment in things that are awful. To ask, did it happen, to this text and this, this, this story is a bit like that. It's a, I would submit, again, and I've submitted before, so I'll do it again and again and again, that it is a grand exercise in missing the point of why it was written. One author says it this way. 
any instinct to rationalize manna, or the quail, as a natural phenomenon should be resisted as a category mistake. I love that. We should read the multi-layered manna story canonically for its theological significance. This doesn't deny a historical root to the story, but rather leads us away from fixating on inconsistent details to concentrating on the big picture or the point of the story and why it's there. Whoever wrote this, I would submit, had zero interest in answering the question, did it happen exactly this way? That's not why these texts were written. There's a theological thing happening here. And what's being said is deep and profound, and it has something to do with the nature of God and you and me in the world that we live in. So to ask, did it happen exactly this way? How many quail? Did the man? It's missing the point. So then what is the point? This is the other road. And I want to invite us to take it. In light of my thoughts, whether you agree with them or not, is up to you, but I would suggest that there are a number of invitations that Exodus chapter 16 invites us to consider. This is a story about the Israelites, a journey out of Egypt. It happened 3,000 years ago, and yet I would argue that it has everything to do with you and me here today, in 2017. This is about our fundamental posture towards the divine. It's asking questions about how we relate to one another, and the world that we live in. It's asking questions like, is there enough? Is there abundance? Is the heart and the nature of God benevolent? Or is the base level foundation of the universe scarcity? That you have to get yours while you can, because if you don't, there won't be enough. So a number of invitations I want to suggest are present in this passage. The first of which is this. An invitation from Exodus 16 that with Yahweh there is always enough. I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. The Bible over and over and over again makes the claim that there is no lack in God. That in Yahweh there's always enough. And when you get right down to it, God is not holding out on you. This is the question of Genesis chapter 3. Did God really say? Is there something that God is, has that God is not offering to you? Did God really say? Exodus 16 is suggesting that, the, that God is not holding out on you. Like the father in the prodigal son story where he says, everything I have had has always been yours. In the beginning, there was blessing. In the beginning, there was abundance. In the beginning, there was benevolence because in the beginning, there was God. And in God, there is benevolence and blessing and abundance, not lack or deficiency or jealousness. You don't have to go out and gather more than you need because there's a limited amount. You don't have to go out and secure for yourself more than you need in this moment because tomorrow the blessings will be new as, the sun, as surely as the sun rises, as faithfully as the sun will rise tomorrow. God's nourishment, God's blessing, God's love, God's mercy is yours for the taking. You don't have to throw elbows and push and budge to the front of the line because when you get there, there will be enough. It begins with blessing and abundance, and it's still available to you and to me right here and right now. The question is, do you believe that? Do you believe that the nature of God is for you, 
and is offering something to you right here in this moment? Or is God somehow up there holding out and you're missing out? Exodus 16 invites us to believe that in faith, there's enough. And not only that, but every day, afresh, every day, enough. This past week, uh, so from the beginning of Awakens history, for seven and a half years now, we've had what's called a core team and an advisory team. The core team is like boots on the ground, people who are leading ministry teams. The advisory team is what we have, what we call our elders. So the core team has met uh, monthly on the first Tuesday of every month from the beginning of this church. And we have sat around many tables in the history of our time together. And many different people have sat around that table. As of late, it happens at my house on Tuesday nights, the first Tuesday, and we gather for four reasons. One, to have a lot of fun together. Number two, uh, to celebrate the things that God is doing in our midst. Number three, to like the all-awakened things that we should all be aware of now that there's enough people that we don't all know what's going on. And number four, to pray together. And so we're sitting around my table last Tuesday night, and we begin to hear, we're, uh, we had a new, a, a new person come, and she's joining our team, actually taking over where Chris is leaving. And so we have a little uh, tradition where we, it's called the hot seat, and we ask any question that we want to, and that person has the decision. They can answer it. They can defer. They can say, no, no, thank you. That's an inappropriate question. I'm not answering it. But just fire away. And then we turn the tables. And Katie, uh, we said, Katie, what questions do you have? And she said, what do you love about Awaken? And I, like, as the pastor, I'm telling you, these are paydays. Like, I'm sitting in the corner, right? And I just kind of, like, lean back, right? And I just, I just wait to hear what people are going to say. And friends, I wish I could have taped it, and I wish I could play it for you. Because people started sharing and going around the table. And do you want to know what the message was over and over and over and over again? There's always been enough around here. Risha just had a baby. She was gone for six weeks on maternity leave. She came back, and she's, she's like... I cannot believe the number of people who volunteer in this church. It is astronomical. At the other churches that I've worked at, you had to pull teeth to get people to do things. And somehow, for some reason, at Awaken, there's enough all the time. Mandy, last year, she came here for the first time. She started working at our church. And she's like, daunt, this daunting task of trying to put together a kids' ministry team with a number of holes in it. And, and she was just totally blown away that, like, people came out of the woodwork to say, I'll help, I'll, I'll stand in, I'll, I'll do that, I'll love on the kids. And then again, this year, I don't know if you were here, like, eight weeks before fall launch, she stood here and she's like, we need 33 people. And I, like, gulped, like, oh my gosh, 33 people. Now you know that there's over 100 people in our kids' ministry team, so by ratio, it's not that much, but 33 is a lot. And she sits there on Tuesday night and she's like, there's enough. There's always enough around here. And I don't know how, and I don't know why. And I could test, I could tell you story after story. I, I could keep you here till long after the Vikings have lost. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's on Monday. <laughs> In God, there is always enough. The question is, do you believe that? It's a story about quail and manna but it's a story about something far deeper than that. I would also suggest there's an invitation to be a, a reminder that you do not live on bread alone. This is a passage that we may be familiar with. Jesus quotes it later, but this is where it comes from. You are not the sum of your appetites. Let me say it again, church. 
You are not the sum of your appetites. You are a human. You're a physical being. You need food and water and sex and protection. And yes, you have appetites, but you are not the sum of your appetites. Said differently, you do not live on bread alone. There's an author that I was reading while studying uh, for this. He's a blogger. I couldn't actually find his name. I tried to, but I couldn't find it. But he said this, and I thought it was worth repeating. It's through having their hunger met that Israel is open to learning a fundamental principle about human life. Not by bread alone is the human life sustained, but by the responsiveness to the divine will. Deuteronomy 8 says, He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but by the very word that comes from the mouth of God. In the event that you forgot, or in the event that maybe you've not come to believe this to be true yet, let me offer it to you as a reminder or as something to consider. You are a spiritual being. And part of your joy and fulfillment and health and wellness in the world is connected to your spiritual life. And if you have put that on hold or pause or not paid any attention to it, I would, I would submit to you that there's a very good chance that there is a level of joy and fulfillment and beauty and, and that you have not yet known. Now, as a Christian, I would argue that that joy, that peace, that fulfillment is directly connected to your relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ. And participating in the divine life as you find union with the life of Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and there's something missing or just off a bit in your life. And I would just propose, I would suggest, I would invite you to consider that maybe today is the day you make some changes about your spiritual life. And you make it more primary. You make it central. You make it intentional. You do not live on bread alone. And if you ignore the fact that you are a spiritual being, you are missing out on a giant part of who God made you to be. I would submit that this way of Jesus is the most fulfilling that you can find. So follow it. Go for it. Enter into it. Exodus 16 invites us to consider you don't live on bread alone, that there's enough, and that also that equity and equality is important in the heart of God. Take only what you need. Did you you catch that in the passage? Take only what you need, and whatever you don't need, leave for someone else. We, sometimes we come to the Bible and we think this is like a barbaric, like antiquated, misogynistic, like bizarre, primitive book. And that's fair because sometimes it's all of those things and more. But then there are these little nuggets where we read it and you're like, that is progressive. Like really progressive. Like that's a word for 2017, amen? Take only what you need, Americans. Take only what you need, consumer individualist, right? Come on, prophet, speak it now, brother Micah. When we pay attention to the other humans that are around us and we realize we're not the only ones on the planet, that there will be people who come after us who will inherit whatever we've made, this word of take only what you need is an important one. When we take only what we need and then we're generous with the extra that we have, we find that there's enough for everybody. Did you know that there is enough water on the planet for everybody to have clean water? Did you know that there is enough food? There are enough resources on the planet for everybody to have enough. It's not that there isn't enough, back to point number one. It's that it's somehow been inequitably distributed. And that's part of our conversation as people who live in the most richest, in the richest, most powerful place on the planet, 
in the history of the earth. That's a conversation that we must consider as Americans and as people who have so much. So to those who have been given much, to those who have abundance, and you may be sitting here thinking, I'm not very, my life is not abundant. We could argue that it is, right? Like compared to the rest of the world, what we have is abundance. So for those who have much, the question is, how do you hold it? For those of you who have more than we need, what do we do with it? To which I would implore you to consider, as your pastor, like your resources and your materials and the things you have in your possession are directly connected to your heart. And how we hold those things is a commentary on who we are and who we are becoming. And so I would suggest to you that the best way to hold them is for those who have more than enough, generosity is a better way to live. It's right over here on this little poster board. It's one of the things that we say we value. Why? Because it's connected to the heart of God. Take only what you need, and if you have more than you need, be generous with what you have. This is the way of Jesus. So this is not a conversation about a 3,000-year-old story that has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with us. Go out, and when you find manna, and there's abundance everywhere, don't hoard it. Take only what you need. And if you have extra, make sure that those around you have enough. It's very progressive. Lastly, one final invitation. Exodus 16 invites us to remember, to consider, that you are not in control, which is connected to Sabbath. Now, I gotta be, I'll be totally honest. Uh, I've been talking about Sabbath a lot. It's been... Uh, it's been changing the way that my wife and I parent our kids and how we do family and all this. And so I've, that's been spilling out into this. And I've had people say, uh, Micah, you're not even Jewish. What the heck? Like, you're right. I'm not. Thank you, though. I appreciate that. Uh, I know. I know. I'm not Jewish. Uh, they say, like, um, we're not bound by the law anymore. Um, this is an old, this old covenant. We're new covenant people, Micah. Like, what gives? Okay, fine. Exodus 16 and the provision of manna is deeply embedded in a conversation about Sabbath. And Sabbath is a conversation about control and trust. You don't have to be Jewish for that one. Come on. It's a conversation about control and about what you trust or who you trust. You do not control the world. You don't even control your own life. And if I've learned anything from parenting, it's that, right? It's like, you, we set it all up. We did everything right. And then that happens. And you're like, I did not get what I deserved on that. You're right. You don't control anything. You don't control your own life. You can try. You can attempt it. But like at the end of the day, there's a lot of things outside of your control. Your life is a gift. The breath that you have in your lungs right now, it is not entitled to you. You are not entitled to it. It's a gift. And you receive it anew every day when you wake up in the morning. As sure as the sun rises, the blessings of the Lord. It's a gift. And so you receive gifts. Sabbath is the recognition that you are not in control. And so for that one day, you stop your efforts of creating and making and securing and providing. And you trust and you enter into a space and a time that's governed by different rules. Rules that assume that you belong. That you are beloved. Not because you've earned it. Not because you deserve it. 
but because you're loved. Because the divine says, I love you. Gift. Do nothing to receive it. You start, not from zero, from totally full. That's day one. And you live from that place. Sabbath isn't the carrot at the end of the stick. It's not what you get when you've done all your work. It's Adam and Eve's first day of life. It's blessing. It's divine blessing. It is gift. Why is it that we have such a difficult time stopping? In order to receive a gift, you have to trust the person giving it. And I wonder if there isn't something, for those of us who have a very difficult time stopping from all of our work and all of our producing and all of our creating and all of our making and all of our securing and providing, this is a conversation about trust and control. You are not in control. At some point, you're going to come to that conclusion, and I hope and I pray to God that it's not under duress and, cir- and horrible circumstances. And I'm asking you to consider today, before you ever get there, it's true, so just live it and believe and receive whatever God has, which is gift and blessing and benevolence. Go out on the sixth day, gather enough for the next day. Why? Because there will be nothing there. Do you trust me? Do you trust me that there will be enough? So Israel, receive it. Don't go looking for it that day. Don't attempt to secure your own livelihood and provision for one day. Don't attempt to control your environment, your surroundings, your situation, but receive a gift from God. Let your death grip of control loosen a little bit for one day and receive a gift. This is an invitation to the people of God given 3,000 years ago. And I would seriously argue that it's the same invitation that we're invited to believe today. So did it happen exactly as it says in Exodus chapter 16? Maybe not the best question. Questions elicit answers of their kind. A better question? What are the invitations? What's being said about the nature of God and about us and the world we live in? With God, there is always enough. You do not live on bread alone. When we take what we need, we're generous with what's extra. And you are not in control. This life is a gift to be received and lived with gratitude and open hands. That, my friends, is good news. In a world where people are dying all around us and hurricanes are wrecking things and they're Seemingly, the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. This is the rage against the machine. The original rage against the machine. The statement that says, it is not so. That is not who God is. And so we, the people of God, stand and say, no. We don't live by that narrative. We live by one that says it's a gift and we receive it. And there's enough to go around. And so when we have extra, we give. And we share it with our friends. I think that's good news, but... That's up to you to decide for yourself. Pray with me. God, this morning, we come to this ancient story 3,000 years ago about this nomadic group of people wandering around in the desert of the Middle East having encounters with the living God, the one who made it all, the one who says, there's enough, there's always enough. Do you trust me? Do you believe that I'm good Do you believe that my heart is for you 
that I want to give you good gifts. So wherever we find ourselves this morning, I pray, Holy Spirit, in this next moment of silence that you would speak to us. Whatever sharp edge of this teaching finds us, I pray that it would do its work and whatever needs to be taken away or moved aside, that your spirit would be present doing that work in us as we say yes to you and we trust that you're good and that you have love in your heart for us. So Holy Spirit, find us now, we pray. As we close this morning, um, we want to invite you to pray this prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray. And it seems that every week, like somehow, it's perfectly fitting, um, which maybe that's just part of it. So pray this with me if you would. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I want to invite you to close with this song. And it's a song that we picked because it kind of sets up this question of, um, do we trust? Do we believe God is who he says he is? Uh, and so it exclaims, we're waiting here for you. We're we're, we're, we're saying yes to who you've said you are. Um, and, and then just this familiar chorus that we'll close with. So however you want to experience that, if you want to stand, if you want to sit, if you'd like prayer, uh, our prayer space is over here on my right and your left. Uh, but I invite you to sing this together as you learn it. It's a good way to end, a good prayer to end on. Um, as you go today, um, if you need prayer for anything or you're wrestling with something you'd like to wrestle further. Our prayer team is available. They'd love to pray with you or for you. Um, So receive this blessing as you go today. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Grace and peace, my friends. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awakencommunity or on Twitter at awakencommunity. See you next time.